In February 2018, a 15-year-old young man lobbed fireworks into a canyon. He did not realize he would ignite a fire that would end up burning nearly 47,000 acres in Oregon's Columbia River Gorge. When the smoke cleared, the judge sentenced the teenager to 1,920 hours of community service, five years of probation, and a $36 million fine. His attorney argued this penalty was, quote, cruel and unusual, end quote. But the judge wrote, quote, the restitution is clearly proportionate to the offense because it does not exceed the financial damages caused by the youth, end quote. Now, thankfully, no one lost their lives, but some families lost their homes. Many of them lost irreplaceable personal treasures, such as wedding photos and family heirlooms. No amount of restitution can restore those. However, Judge Olson admitted that the young man will not be able to pay the full amount ordered by the court. In the book of Micah, God called his people to court to make restitution for their offenses. They offered God what they thought he wanted. They offered burnt offerings of yearling calves, thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, even their own firstborn children. But God did not want any of those offerings. Rather, he told Micah to tell God's people what he wanted from them, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with their God. Restitution to the tune of $36 million is pennies compared to the debt Jesus paid for us. But he is not asking us to repay it. He only asks that we do what he asked Israel to do, to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with him. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You are listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you are listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Companion podcast means we have a student manual. It's a companion to the podcast episode. And if you have that student manual, go ahead and open up to Lesson 10, dated August 8th, 2021, and entitled The God of Our Salvation. If you don't have a student manual, that's all right. You can turn in your Bible or click in your Bible to Micah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. We're going to read what I just shared with you. In short, during that short story there at the beginning. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. God's people ask God this question. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? But he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And Micah continued in the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 7, Therefore I will look unto the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Verse 18, who was a God likened to thee, 
that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Thank God for that. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. <laughs> what a beautiful passage. Micah 6, God tells us what he expects. Micah 7 tells us what we can expect from God. Thank God for his word. We're going to dive into it today. Now, there are two types of people who shop at Ikea. There are those who read the manual on how to put it all together when they get home. And there are those who claim they do not need the manual to know how to put it all together when they get home. Personally, I am a manual reader. I need the manual. If you bought your car within the last 30 years, it most likely came with a manual. And you may have never read it. But you may not know that you can roll your windows down by holding the unlock button on the key fob for longer than three seconds. At least if you have a Nissan. And some of you are going to try that. Whenever manufacturers produce a machine, they place it on the market with a detailed set of instructions in the manual, sometimes in several languages. And one reason new owners and operators have trouble is because they think they can figure it out without reading the manual. Well, thankfully, the God of our salvation left us a detailed book of instructions, a manual, which include not only a way to get to heaven, but also a way to live successfully right here on earth. Unfortunately, Many people believe they can get by without reading the instructions, which is why many make a mess of their lives and risk missing heaven. This machine, this human body and soul, operates so much smoother, so much more efficient when we follow the guidelines of God's instruction book, the Bible. And in this manual, God spoke to a prophet named Micah to write these instructions down. God carefully outlined the cause of his people's problems and God himself offered the remedy. The cause was injustice. In the book of Micah, God called attention to the many spiritual problems of Judah and highlighted a glaring injustice. Chapter 2, he said, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand, and they covet fields and take them by violence, and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. It's Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Nothing is closer to a man's heart other than God, than his house, his possessions, his family. To lose these in any manner is a traumatic loss, but when these things are taken by force, it is not only a traumatic loss, it's a gross injustice that arrests the attention of God. Because God is a God of equity or impartial justice. Psalm 75 records God records all the injustices in the world and holds the guilty responsible. Being God's chosen people did not exempt Judah from his rebuke and retribution for their injustice. It's not uncommon for loving parents to be partially blind in the misdeeds of their children. And perhaps we're all guilty of allowing love to blind us. But God, whose love for us is far greater than our love for our children, does not allow his love to blind him against the misdeeds of his people. Now that you know more about God, relying on your knowledge of the word of God, do you feel that God is fair? One of my Sunday school teachers when I was a teen used to say, life isn't fair, but God is just. 
But do you feel God is fair and equitable? God let Judah know they would pay in sickness and desolation for their evil deeds. It's a common response among evildoers to feel they are getting by. No one is getting by. All must stand before him one day to give an account of the deeds done in this body. God knows how to get our attention. Unfortunately, our attention is often not easily obtained. Ideally, God should only have to speak to us once, but frequently our attention is arrested only by more desperate means. And sickness and desolation are some of the methods God uses. Take a look at the life of Job. Take a look at chapter 33 in the book of Job. Take a look at King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar's banquet for his Lord serves as an example for us. In the midst of debauchery and revelry, God's hand appeared and wrote on the palace wall. The king's response was dramatic. Scripture says in Daniel 5, the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him. The joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. It's not difficult to see what caused God's indignation. Not only did Belshazzar and his guests drink wine from the sacred vessels taken from the temple in Jerusalem, but the revelers began to praise the gods of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. This blatant desecration tipped the scales of God's indignation, causing him to indict the king in dramatic fashion. When sickness interrupts our schedule, we begin thinking more seriously. Now that, of course, is not to say that all sickness is a result of our sin, but some may be. If our attitude has been frivolous and careless relative to spiritual things, a sobering presence replaces all of that. With his newly opened attitude, God is able to reach us more readily. Now let me ask you this. Do you think God ever uses sickness to get our attention? And if you feel he does, how should we respond? And again, I cannot state this enough. Not all sickness is evidence of personal sin. Take a look simply at the life of Job. And that would testify to you that just because we are sick doesn't mean we have gross sin. It just means we live in a broken world. But sometimes God does use sickness to get our attention. Let's talk about the marginalized. Marginalized people are those who, for various reasons, have been pushed to the edge or the margin of society. Whether that is intentional or unintentional, these people often find themselves out of the mainstream of society. They usually suffer economically, physically, socially. Often they're stigmatized because of their ethnicity or gender or color, physical inabilities, economic status. Such abuse is never merited. In the case of Judah, God indicted his people for mistreating the marginalized, the women and their children, and causing them to be homeless. Now, we don't know all the circumstances of their situation, but we know enough to understand God was provoked enough to call attention to this injustice and to indict Judah. What is the proper response of Christians to those in need, to the marginalized in our world? How should Christians treat those who are mistreated and marginalized? How should we treat God? Well, we must do what pleases God. That sounds like a simple statement, but many people seem to misunderstand its purpose. Our ultimate purpose is to please God. Pleasing God is what salvation is all about. He is the Savior of the world, the only Savior. Therefore, he's the only one who can give salvation. The psalmist was right in the third psalm. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. It is obvious that salvation can only be obtained by pleasing 
We're obeying God. Salvation is a choice. No one can decide for us. Contrary to the precepts of Calvinism, we must personally choose whether we want to be saved or lost. Blaming God for circumstances that make it more difficult to be victorious is no excuse for being lost. We are blessed with benefits for pleasing the Lord. For when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, verse 7. So is it all right to disobey man's laws if that is the only way we can please God? That's a big question that deals with civil disobedience. Is it okay to break man's laws if man's laws break God's laws? And certainly we saw quite a bit of that last year during the COVID-19 pandemic when there was a shelter-in-place order, and some people chose to disobey man's laws to shelter-in-place in order to obey what they considered to be God's laws, which were to forsake not the assembling of oneself together. Is that okay? Or is there another way around it? That's a big question, and probably a lesson for another time. So what does please God? Well, God told Micah, and Micah wrote it in the manufacturer's manual. He said, do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with our God. Do justly. In the Old Testament, justly means do what is right. What is pronounced right judiciously? Justice. For the last several months, even years, our world has been crying out for justice. But so has God. But God's justice is perfect. His justice is not based on feeling or emotion or culture or trends or what's popular on social media. His justice is based on his nature, and God is holy, holy. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y-H-O-L-Y. It's a lot easier to write that than to say it. In order to please God, we must live holy, righteous, innocent. We must do what is equitable. We can't live holy on our own, but thank God he gives us his Holy Spirit. Even if we please no one else, it is possible to please God. And pleasing God will lead to obedience, and obedience always leads to salvation. And if we please God, we will often be right with our neighbor. If we're right with God, we'll most likely be right with our neighbor. Something about justice creates an atmosphere of compatibility. Simply being right with God often makes us right with others. To do justly is easily interpreted as do what is right. It's a requirement to three major laws, God's law, man's law, and our law. God's law is his word. The Bible, man's law, is primarily the rules set by governments and all the local laws. Our law is this inborn set of principles God has placed in every man and woman. And Micah continued, love mercy. Justice and mercy are not enemies. They're actually close allies. You will find justice and mercy inextricably woven in the nature of God. God's justice gives us the knowledge to be right with him. God's mercy gives us the power to be right with him. Without his mercy, we would not be alive or saved, which is why we are called to love his mercy. Now, we should not need a command to love mercy. Loving mercy should be easy. Mercy is too wonderful not to love. Loving mercy should be as natural to a believer as breathing. However, the difficult part is loving mercy enough to extend it to those we may feel do not deserve it. But before we close our fist and withhold mercy, remember We need mercy, and we should be abundantly glad God and others have extended mercy to us because we do not deserve it. Micah finished his three-point sermon, Walk humbly with your God.
In Micah 6, 8, the word humbly is translated from a word meaning lowly. It is impossible to walk lowly and proudly with God at the same time. Pride trusts ourselves. Humility trusts God. We cannot walk with God, witness the wonder of God, and still think it's all about us. This invitation to walk with God is a blessing. The invitation to walk humbly with God is an invitation to know Him and know it is all about Him. When Jesus came, He walked humbly. He came to earth, lived as a servant. He could have lived as a king. He is the king of kings, but He lived humbly. He was our example. And according to 1 Peter 2, we should follow His steps. Humility ensures God receives the glory and ensures we stay in right relationship with Him and others. God was clear through Isaiah. My glory will I not give to another. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8. If we walk proudly or haughty or arrogantly, we attempt to rob God of glory. Today and every day, let's walk humbly. Thankfully, this wonderful God of mercy gives mercy. In the New Testament, it's translated from a Greek word meaning compassion and pity. If God did not love us, he never would have come to save us. But seeing humanity mired in iniquity, he came in flesh and redeemed us. It was only by his compassion, his pity, his great mercy that he came to save us. Jesus answered the critical Pharisees who questioned Jesus in Matthew 9. And Jesus let them know unequivocally he was more about mercy than sacrifice. The Pharisees were so married to Moses' law, they could not understand love and mercy. They felt anything gained had to be obtained by sacrifice. And sacrifice had its place in the Old Testament. The blood of animals accomplished what was needed at that time. John 1 tells us the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 8 what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Mercy accomplished all this. For Hebrews tells us, chapter 10, verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. But read Micah 7, 18, and God delights in mercy. God does not show mercy because he feels obligated. It is not something we earn. Mercy is an unmerited, uninherited act of God's love. God shows compassion. He showed compassion when he manifested himself in human flesh, came to earth as a man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We all know that's John 3.16. We've seen it on the billboards. We've seen it on the poster board. Incarnation, Jesus coming in flesh, was something he did not have to do. He did not create us or visit us in flesh because he was lonely. He showed compassion by coming to the world and dying for lost humanity. He shows compassion daily. Simply stated, God's compassion was not something wonderful in the past. It's wonderful in the present. Salvation is a result of that justice and mercy coming together on the cross. Salvation is simply living as God desires. Now, this may sound easy, but it is not. We have a lot of desires that originate in carnality and are diametrically opposed to God. We're flesh. To please Him is to do what He wants, not what we want. Even Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Because of the ever-growing conflict between our will and God's will, we are in a constant struggle. 
But there is a great reward when we find victory in this struggle. Not only does victory yield peace, but it will eventually yield eternal life with the God of our salvation. So what can you do this week to reflect how gracious God has been to you? Let's wrap this up. We must be concerned about what we are doing to please God. When we read the Bible, we need to feel that it was written to us personally. When Jesus said in his word, I go to prepare a place for you, we should take the you to mean us. All the promises to the New Testament believers apply to each of us personally. If we will apply this scripture, the Bible will not seem like an ancient book written to a distant people, but to us. Even if you are one of those Ikea assemblers who doesn't read the manual, at least in this case, you need the manufacturer's manual. Read the scriptures and do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to do these very simple and yet profound things today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for writing in your word exactly what you expect of us as your people. I pray today, help me, help all of us to do justly, help us to live right, to live righteously, to live godly, soberly in this present world. Help us to love mercy, not only to love receiving it, but also to love extending it and giving it to others in need. Help us to walk humbly with you, to have our devotion, our time with you, and walk humbly understanding it is all about you. I pray, Lord Jesus, today, help us to do these very three, three very simple things and to live a life that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, God's Word for Life listeners, for tuning in to God's Word for Life. I appreciate you being a part of this companion podcast. If you have not yet visited the website, you really need to go and take a look at godswordforlife.faith. Because this fall, 2021, we are going to launch a brand new product line for all ages called God's Word for Life. And it's beautiful, full color, the content, the design, all of it come together to be such a great disciple-making tool. And so you will enjoy that. Small groups, sanctuary setting, classroom setting, however it is you learn and are discipled in your local church or devotionally just during your time with God you will fully enjoy God's Word for Life. Visit godswordforlife.faith. You'll enjoy that. The link is there in the show notes. Next week, we're going to take a look at Lesson 11 in the Summer 2021 Manual, dated August 15th, 2021, and it is called Rejoicing in Difficult Times. It's not easy to do. That's why it's called Difficult Times. But through the power of God, we can do it. I'm looking forward to walking through that with you. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.